Welcome to James Explores the New Mutants, the podcast that, well, explores, examines, and explains Marvel's comic book series, The New Mutants, its rebranding, relaunches, and spinoffs in an attempt to share my love for the title, its characters, writers, and artists. In this week's episode, I will be exploring the creation of the New Mutants and reviewing Marvel Graphic Novel number four. Please stay tuned. Welcome back. So I think the best place to begin uh, anytime you're examining comic book related material is always the origin story. And just like any great superhero or comic book character has an origin story, so do the comic books themselves. So what was going on in the Marvel Universe at Marvel um, in the 1980s that caused there to be a desire to create an X-Men spinoff? Well, what we do know is that the X-Men by this time had become a flagship book for Marvel. Its sales were rivaling that of Spider-Man. And for those of you that don't know, Spider-Man at that time was the Wolverine of his era, or the Deadpool of his era, right? He was placed in comic books to increase those sales of those books. Uh, New comic books would have Spider-Man show up just to help those sales, to help push that sales of that book. So, you know, the X-Men are pretty popular at this point. Um, And they've been under the leader, the, the the editorial leadership of Luis Jones at this point, and Chris Claremont's been doing all the writing. He's been writing this book since its relaunch, uh, which occurred in Giant Size X-Men number one. He picked up the book at X-Men number 94, and he's been writing it ever since. Um, there's been no spin-offs. There's been no limited series that have come off the X-Men at this point. So it's just the main the main uh, book that that is where all the stories are contained. Um, and they've had some big successes. We've seen the Dark Phoenix Saga, right? We've seen ex- excellent character development and uh, the team's been changing over but and character growth. So there's a reason like this book has been selling well. It's, it's well done. It's well written. The art's great. Um, and they've had great success. And Jim Shooter... He's editor-in-chief at Marvel at the time. He sees that and he, he, he knows that like he's got something good here. And so he wants to capitalize on that. Um, and he, he calls Louise Simonson or Louise Jones into his office. And he's like, hey, you know what? I want a new, I want a new mutant book. You know? And Louise is quoted uh, in an issue of Wizard that celebrates the 30th, uh, 30 years of X-Men um, as saying, uh, quote, neither Chris... Or I really wanted to do it. We wanted X-Men to be special and by itself. But Shooter told us that if we didn't come up with a new mutant book, someone else would. End quote. Um, so there's been an ultimatum. Like, it's either that, either they do it or somebody else is gonna. Um, and the thing was that, to this point, as I'd already pointed out, that Chris is, Chris Cramer and Louis Simonson and a, and a handful of other editors have been involved in the X-Men universe. Really, there's not been anyone else writing these books. And so any of these uh, 
storylines that Chris Claremont's placed in play or any of the story arcs that he's been working on, like those are those are extremely valuable. And if somebody else gets involved, they're going to mess up stories and plans that Claremont's been working on. And the thing about Chris Claremont is he, when he has time to write on a book, like years and decades, he's going to play this long game. And so something happens in a comic book uh, and 10 issues later, it might be relevant again. And then 20 issues later, it might be the main story arc. This might be the p- thing that drives the plot. And we see this in the Dark Phoenix saga with uh, um, certain characters coming up. And like, uh, well, Jean Grey's character, right? She starts out as a phoenix. And over like 30-some issues, she becomes a dark phoenix, right? But it takes time for that character to develop to that point. And it makes for an extremely intricate and well-developed and believable universe but that stuff takes time. And the more hands that are in that uh, creation process, the more difficult those stories become to execute because somebody else could pull some strings and pull the whole thing apart. Um, so they want to keep it uh, in their court. They don't want other people mucking around in this universe. And so they agree to do it. Um, and, and they decide to call it the New Mutants as an homage to Stan Lee, because originally he wanted to call X-Men the mutants, but uh, they went with X-Men because of the X gene. Um, uh, but that's, you know, just kind of a cool tidbit of information. I always liked that they called, that they paid this homage to Stan Lee. Um, now, there's one more member of the team, this creative team that's vital, and you guessed it, it's the artist. Now, Jim Shooter tapped has an, has an artist in mind, but he's, you know, he's going to give him like, some options. And so he calls Bob McCloud into his office, and Bob McCloud's coming off a two-issue run on Uncanny X-Men. He had done the art for 151, he did a couple pages in there, and then he did the full book in X-Men 152 and it's his art's great I mean it's wonderful and that's an issue where Storm does battle with the White Queen they swap bodies um it's a great issue and if you haven't seen it you should definitely check it out um but Bob McCloud uh he's got his start in uh at Marvel working on the Crazy Magazine which was uh their answer to Mad Magazine and Bob does a lot of parody artwork he liked to he did parodies of movies and stuff like that. Um, so it's more of a cartoonish or, or characteristic artist art style. Um, but anyways, he's called into the office of uh, Jim Shooter, and Jim Shooter says, Hey, i got some options for you. You can either continue your work and become the main artist on Uncanny X-Men, or you can take the option of creating, helping to co-create on a new book we're working on. And now, so these are two amazing options, right? Like Bob has made it at this point. Bob McLeod's made it. He is being offered the flagship title at Marvel, or he can co-create, which is a big deal too, right? Like you get to help create characters that nobody's ever drawn before. You get to be... Uh, a, a, an influential part of this creative team and like that could be a big deal too like that's just as big a deal if it's successful as being on a flagship title 
it could also it also carries some risk because if the title doesn't succeed, like that can be career damaging as well. He decides to co-create. He probably knew that it was Chris Claremont. He probably knew it was going to be this X Men, uh, this New Mutants uh, book, this X Men spinoff. Um, and his art is fantastic here. He draws teenagers very well. Uh, you see uh, longer facial features. Um, Sam Guthrie's a ga- great example. His long, gaunt face, big ears. He's a tall, lanky, uh, awkward-looking guy. I mean, he's perfect. It's His art style fits so beautifully, the book. Um, and uh, we're going to talk more about that as we review the 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 graphic novel. Now, uh, what we see from the New Mutants at this point is they're a multi- uh, culturally diverse team, a multicultural team, similar to the giant size X-Men, uh, all new, all different X-Men that come out of that, right? Like, we've got a young woman from Vietnam, we've got a Cheyenne woman from Colorado, we've got a 16-year-old boy from Kentucky, we've got a young man from Brazil, we've got a young lady from Scotland, we're going to see a young woman from Russia, we're going to see uh, Magma Amara from, uh, she's in Brazil, but she's this weird Italian Roman, ancient Roman person. Uh, We're going to see another boy from uh, another American boy, uh, but and we're going to see this alien from outer space, and these characters all come together and they create the the new mutants over time. Um, so we've got this cultural diversity. They're also a younger team, right? Uh, which makes sense because they're all teenagers. They're all just manifesting their powers. That's going to be an interesting uh, view of adolescence and growth and. Uh, character interaction that you know we may not have seen in other X titles um and and this team also uh is made up mo- uh, mostly of women there's a large number of women on this team and they interact as friends and they have great wonderful relationships and this book explores the clumsiness of teenagers trying to find their place in their social group and handle the changes of y- as uh, as they become adults it's it's a wonderful book in that regard um so like they've we've got our creative team together and and uh they begin work and things are going really well they map out their plan chris claremont's knocking out the script bob mcleod's knocking out the pages and things are looking really good uh Louise Jones, later Simonson, she promises Bob that he's going to get to do all the artwork on the book. He's going to draw, uh, pencil the pages. He's going to ink ink the pages. Um, at the same time that this... Um, so Marvel had been... This is a side that does have an impact on uh, this first issue. Um, Marvel had been introducing this new concept. They'd been pushing out these graphic novels and these are larger magazine sized comics and they don't have to follow the comic book code because their format is different than the comic book um and you know uh it's got more pages uh like i said larger format and they are targeting more like bookstores um and with these sorts of books 
uh, it's it's kind of this project. I don't know if it's a pet project to shooters, but he wants it to be successful. And at this point, for graphic novel number four, I it's not clear to me whether there's going to be a story that's going to be late or if it's just not being worked on at all. But uh, they need a story for it. Otherwise, they're going to miss their deadline. And that could be horrible for the sales of something that is is uh, newly being introduced to um, to, to the readers. And so he approaches Louise Simonson. He tells her, you know what, I need you to turn this first issue of New Mutants into a graphic novel. Uh, this is a big deal because not only do they have to add pages, about 10 more pages uh, to their com- to their book, which means 10 more pages of art, 10 more pages of script, right? This also has to come out two weeks sooner than their previous deadline. Um, so it puts them under extreme pressure to get this book done. Um, so they have to add more pages. That's a problem because you've got nearly a completed story, and now you've got to extend it. This could affect pacing, pages uh, being larger. It might affect how panels lay out. So this is a big deal. Um, and to add more pressure and problems to the situation that has already now is problematic, um, Bob McLeod is going to be going... Um, on his honeymoon, he's got he's gonna be getting married, and he's got his honeymoon. Um, now, Luis isn't happy. She her opinion was that graphic novels were something special, and their stories should be uh, larger and more, uh, you know, more impactful than just the origin story of a new new comic book uh, creation. Um, you know, like the very first graphic novel Marvel ever put out was the death of Captain Marvel. Like, so that's the kind of thing she thought that was worthy of a graphic novel, not some origin story. But, you know, they have to do it, so that's what they're going to do. Um, she does tell Shooter, hey, you know, uh, I've promised Bob that he's going to get to do all the inking on this book. Well... She was like, too bad, we're going to have to get somebody else in to ink it because I need you to make this deadline. I can't extend the deadline. Um, you know, so uh, she's like, okay, well, I'll let him know. Uh, she she ends up not telling Bob that, you know, deciding we're not going to have somebody else ink it. Bob's going to do the art of the book, and that's just the way it's going to be. And so Bob takes his work to the beach on his honeymoon and he's drawing pages on the beach ends up they complete the book and they get it put out but it's you know it's two weeks late um jim shooter's upset about that extremely upset um and simonson's quoted again as saying that like shooter didn't wouldn't talk to her for like two and a half years after this because he was so upset with her about this being late you know, but the thing is, they got it done, and what what they put out is something that I I am overjoyed with. I think it's just absolutely stunning. The art in it is absolutely beautiful. The story is great. Uh, the characters that they give us are absolutely wonderful. Um, Claremont and McLeod seem to work really well together. Uh, so you know, 
it's it's beautiful and you know the impact that this team does have i think are significant like i said a team of majority women or a large number of women all um with significant roles in the team uh and that that's a big deal because not a lot of comics at the time were doing it um i don't know if any were the X-Men had a handful of women. There was Storm and Jean, and they had a really wonderful relationship. Jean died, and then Kitty came onto the team, uh, Kitty Pride, And that relationship between Storm and Kitty was interesting. But there's only, like, a couple women on the team. And, and then the New Mutants come along, and it kind of breaks that mold. And we see the X-Men getting more women as well on their, on their roster. So, like, it's a change in the industry. And, you know, I, I can't tell you what was going on at DC, so I can't tell you that they didn't do this too. But what I can tell you is that Marvel did, and it was one of the first places I see it happen is in New Mutants. And I think it's something that should be celebrated and applauded. A place where I... I do struggle a bit is its representation, especially of Danny Moonstar and, well, any Native American in the X-Men books. Uh, sometimes it can come off as somewhat uh, problematic. Uh, it's definitely like stereo, sometimes stereotypical Native American presentation of what a Native American is supposed to be, what their ceremonies are, and how they behave. And sometimes, you know, that's... That's more than just that that can be you know I think harmful um you know, but everybody sees that differently, and I see it you know i I'm not Native American, but I do know that others uh others do see, do see that as a problem, and I'm very much aware of that. It's definitely something that I keep in mind, that being said, even knowing that and sometimes finding that problematic myself. I still find Danny uh, Moonstar's character to be extremely wonderful. She's one of my favorite characters that's ever created. One of my favorite X-Men uh, or side X-Men characters. I think she's fantastic. Her character's growth and development throughout New Mutants and uh, X-Force and then later incarnations of the New Mutants is absolutely wonderful. She's just she's a great character um, and I can't wait when we return to jump right into this graphic novel. Welcome back. So as I said, we're going to get right into Marvel graphic novel number four, The New Mutants. And the story in this graphic novel is titled Renewal. And the very first page... There's, it's a splash page, and it's a character that X-Men fans will be very familiar with, Moira McTaggart. She's ducking down, and this wolf is leaping over her. It lands on its feet, and Moira's noting in her thought bubbles that wolves have been extinct for you know centuries. Um, and this wolf continues to bound down the hill, and it begins to transform. It's transforming into this like human uh, wolf form. Uh, and and Moira, it, it finally collapses. Moira goes down to it to investigate. Uh, she notices that it's been shot. Um, it's bleeding from a gunshot, it looks like. Um, this transformation continues. And by the time she gets down to this, this creature, it has transformed into a young woman. And Moira recognizes her. 
and it, she realizes it's Rain Sinclair, a young woman she del- delivered. And this young lady is about 14 years old. So she's going into puberty. And uh, uh, Moira also notes that when at birth, she had this odd DNA configuration. So she may be a mutant. That might be what's going on. Um, and as she's noting, you know, taking care of Rain, uh, this m- angry mob approaches and they're carrying pitchforks and, it's a, you know, the typical European angry mob. They have pitchforks, uh, torches, and, uh, you know, some, some of them are carrying guns. They're led by a na- man by the name of Reverend Craig. He ran an orphanage and uh, Rain was, you know, in that orphanage. And he's pretty abusive and he's going to be a figure that's going to have... Uh, be in and out of Rain's story arc, uh, and they they confront Moira, like telling her that that, that Rain Sinclair is possessed by the devil. Moira says, "Well, she's on Kinross land, and she's under my protection. And you need to leave." And and they do they back down and they do leave. They tell her that she's made a grave error, though. <clears throat> um, the next page we are dropped in the middle of Rio de Janeiro, Brazil, and. Uh, into the middle of actually a soccer match, a football match, and it's a championship match between the Thunderbolts and the Dynamo. And uh, there's one player who's dribbling and weaving through players. He shoots, he scores. It's Roberto da Costa. Uh, He's going to become Sunspot. Um, And his father, Emmanuel DeCoster, is in the stands watching him. And Julia Sandoval is also watching his girlfriend. And they're both just overjoyed. The crowd's going wild. Uh, The game continues. Roberto's still playing well, dribbling in and out of players. He uh, is eventually fouled by the opposing team extremely hard, right? It looks more like they've assaulted him. They just beat him down. Um, He's in rage. The ref doesn't call a foul. Roberto gets up and he throws one of the players across the soccer pitch, football pitch, and the uh, he is transformed into this black figure with these black bubbles boiling off his body, and the crowd is terrified. They're fleeing the stadium. The players are running off of the field away from Roberto, and <clears throat> only two people are trying to get to him. Julia's trying to get down to the soccer field to help him, and Emmanuel Costa struggling to get through the crowd. Um... Julia does get down to the field. She takes Roberto in his arms, in her arms as he collapses. Um, and at the very bottom of this page, it's the very first time that we get the sense that something sinister is occurring, that somebody is watching these events unfold. And uh, we see, what we see is this hand reaching down to a dial on a control panel, and there's a, there's a view screen, and it shows Julia holding Roberto. And uh, this, this arm has... Uh, a magenta jacket on it and a sleeve and there's a cuff this puffed out cuff at the end and this this character says quote fascinating more mutants are appearing every day in more parts of the world but no matter each time one appears i will be there to destroy him on the very next page we are dropped into cameron county kentucky at a um, coal mining facility, uh, Pierce Consolidated Number 7. And uh, 
a young man is just about ready to start his first day of work in the coal mines. He's talking with this other gentleman, a Mr. Lewis, about uh, his father's wishes. Uh, Mr. Lewis asked Sam, you know, I thought you were going to go to college. Wasn't that what your dad wanted for you? And Sam explains to him, you know, with, with my dad having passed, I've got to, you know, I've got to be the man. I've got to, you know, bring home some money to help support my family so that my brothers and sisters can one day go to college. You know, and that's what Sam's doing. You know, he's, he just wants to take care of the people that he's closest to. Um, and what we'll see going forward here is that Sam's brothers and sisters, that, that there's not been an official set number, so the numbers of siblings vary from you know every appearance. Um, and his mom is never consistently drawn the same. There's no set, um, like, this is what Sam's mom looks like. So when she appears, her what she looks like changes all the time. But, uh, you know, Sam, he begins his first day of work, they go down into the mine, and they're working, and all of a sudden, there's a cave-in, and Sam, he runs to Mr. Lewis, and he's terrified, you know, he's, he's trying to help Mr. Lewis, and uh, the, the mine's collapsing, and, and just in sheer terror, all of a sudden, Sam's legs turn to uh, jet, like, just flames, and uh, he is propelled up through the earth with Mr. Lewis and they crash outside the mine on a hillside and uh, Sam Sam is, we find out, is a mutant and has the ability to project himself um, and, and during that state he is nigh invulnerable um, and uh, we also see at the very bottom panel, after all this has occurred that same sinister villain looking at this monitor screen watching these events unfold and he notes that Sam could be extremely useful uh he's close at hand and if he could use him for his bidding when everything is when he's finally finished with everything he can kill Sam too um on the next page we're taken to uh Colorado the Rocky Mountains and uh we see this young Native American sitting, uh, woman sitting, uh, Cheyenne woman sitting in the, in the hills, in, the, in nature. She's communing with nature. She's kind of like meditating. Uh, she's, she's, uh, uh, has this rapport with, um, animals of higher, uh, higher, uh, functioning animals so like this mountain lion comes up with her and she's communicating with it through her telepathic rapport with this animal um it's startled and runs off and uh danny's grandfather um uh appears and uh, he he's there to talk to her about going to new york that he's written a friend of his asking for him to help his uh, his granddaughter Danny Moonstar, and uh, she's not very happy about this. She doesn't want to go to New York. Um, she's she's upset about it. She doesn't trust white uh, people. She doesn't want to go and and be taught how to you know use her powers. Um, and she lashes out in anger and probably some fear and ends up pulling something with her psi talent, which we find out at this point that her psi ability, psychic ability, is to, to be able to take um, somebody's 
uh, extreme passion or fear, um, these extreme emotions, she's able to pull them out of people's psyches and project them um, in, in uh, some sort of physical or holographic form that appears real. And what we see for her grandfather is this like premonition, this like dream, something that was in his subconscious about his future, that he's, uh, there's an image of him and he's being beaten by these two like robotic or armored thugs that are beating him to death. And at this point, Danny collapses. She's overwhelmed and terrified by what she's discovered. And, uh, you know, she's, she's just, distraught and her grandfather comforts her and uh, you know again there's the same sinister villain but this time we see who the villain is and if you have read any X-Men comics you know that there's only one X-Men villain that wears any sort of purple or magenta or pink frock coat and that is you guessed it Donald Pierce he has been watching these events unfold and he has plans to take over the Hellfire Club and we see that he has captured Tessa the Black Queen and she is restrained and he explains quote I couldn't have arranged things better myself. When Xavier responds to that summons when he reaches the Rockies alone without his precious X-Men to protect him I'll strike. He and the girl will be slaughtered together. And Tessa in the background, she says, You're mad, Pierce. And he says, you know, gloatingly, I've already won, you know, and like, doesn't matter. I, I am not mad. My dreams will become true, and I will destroy the clique in the Hellfire Club, and I will take control of that too. And Tessa tells him that, you know, that that Shaw won't let that happen, and he scoffs. No, I've victory will be mine, and the power will be mine, and the wealth will be mine. Well, on the very next page, uh, Danny's awoken at night, like just terrified, right? Like she sits upright, just bolt upright in bed and she knows something's wrong and she runs out of her home and rides her horse down the road and she finds her grandfather laying on the side of the road outside of town and he is beaten bloody and dead he's no longer alive and it looks as though a drunken indian has been hit just a hit and run on the side of the road and she knows that if she were to call the sheriff that's what people would say that's what had happened but she knows because she pulled that dream from her grandfather that that's not what happened their grandfather was in fact beaten to death and Danny uh, you know really wants to get vengeance on this but she doesn't even know where to begin and uh, yeah so uh, she's just distraught her, her this premonition that she pulled from her grandfather did in fact come true on the very next page, we are dropped into Professor Charles Xavier's School for Gifted Youngsters in Westchester, New York. And here we see Charles Xavier, and he is working with someone we had not been introduced before. Her name is Shane Quai Mann, and she's a young Vietnamese woman, and by the name of, and her code name is Karma. And she was first introduced in an uh, issue of Marvel Team-Up 
and it was number 100, and her creators were Chris Claremont and Frank Thomas, uh, Frank Miller. And in this issue, we find out that she is trying to save her uh, two younger siblings uh, from her evil uncle, and she possesses Spider-Man and uses Spider-Man to fight the Fantastic Four, and eventually this is all worked out, and they all join forces and fight, take on her evil uncle, and she uh, actually fights with her twin brother, uh, Tran, who is working for his uncle, and she actually, uh, who has the same power set as she does, and she, like, wipes and golfs him sonically, and uh, he just kind of disappears. Um, and so at the end of it, once it's all resolved, she saves her siblings, and Reed Richards, the Fantastic Four, reaches out to Xavier saying, hey, can you help this young lady? Xavier has her come to his mansion, his school, and now he's sit- she's sitting in the lab with him. The other two characters in the room with them are Shane, uh, Rain, uh, Rain Sinclair and Moira Metagert, who has brought rain to Xavier because of the transfer, her ability to transform into a wolf state. Um, and, but as I said, they're, they're examining karma. They want to figure out what her power set is and what the extent of her powers are. And, uh, Moira offers herself to be the guinea pig. And so karma, he, she possesses Mc, Moira McTaggart and, uh, Rain Sinclair tells us that Oh, her eyes have changed, and her voice sounds just like Sean's, and this scares her quite a bit. Shakes her up, and she begins to transform to her wolf state. Xavier reaches out with his mind, telling her, hey, you need to back off, chill out. You're not, you know, revert back to your human form. She does, uh, and and Shane releases Moira McTaggart, and Moira tells Xavier that she feels very fuzzy and kind of, like, misty and, like, a little bit out of sorts. Um, they all they leave the lab and uh, they decide they're going to have lunch. And they begin talking about. We learn more in the in this graphic novel a little bit about uh, uh, Sean's backstory, which is pretty gruesome. She grew up in Vietnam. Her father was killed there. Uh, her mother, brother, sisters, they all fled the country. They took a boat. They were t- which was taken over by pirates. Uh, so she's been around death her entire life on this boat. Her mother was raped. It's pretty heavily implied that she was raped. Um, so it took. They finally do make it to America. It's pretty, pretty horrible situation. She's trying to take care of her brother, her siblings. Tran goes to work for his uncle, and and that's how she gets. In, her uncle begins to try to utilize her her mutant abilities for his own purposes. We find all that out. Um, she's a really interesting character uh, that that is unfortunately won't be in this graphic in in the series very long. But uh, while she's there, she's she's a pretty cool character. Now, during this meal, she asks Xavier, can, "You know, can you help me?" And Xavier's like, "I I can't, I can't." And Moira reaches out, and they're speaking telepathically to one another. She says, why? Why can't you? And he's like, well, you know, I just can't. I can't continue to train young mutants just so that they become X-Men and then end up dying. I'm just tired of sending mutants to their deaths. And 
she's like, but what about this dream? And, you know, she keeps pushing him. Like, these people really need help. They need guidance. They don't know what to do with their abilities. You're the only one who can really help them. It's either that or, you know, somebody else. And the other people, the other options aren't great. And and so he, he finally accepts, yeah, okay, I'll do it. Uh, there's a ring at the doorbell, and Moira goes and answers it. And it's a letter she has. And in this letter, it... Um, it's from this man, Black Eagle, who we've been introduced already. We also know that he's already been uh, murdered. Uh, and it's telling him about his granddaughter, Danny Moonstar, and that she needs his his expertise and guidance. And so they go, they're going to go to Colorado and, and, and find out about this Danny Moonstar. So Xavier, Karma, and Rain Sinclair go to Colorado and they go to the Rockies and they they arrive at the the funeral pyre or gravesite if you will of Black Elk and they realize that it just got a lot harder to locate his granddaughter because he was their he was their link to Danny Moonstar uh, at this moment around this as they're discussing this all of a sudden they're dropped into uh what looks like the jungles of uh, Vietnam and there's explosions and fighting and we know as the readers that this is uh, Danny Moonstar's her, her powers this is her mutant ability right to pull these memories from uh, from someone we and we know that it's probably and, and we and we do know as readers that she's pulling this from karma right this is her this is where she lived her entire life for the most part, right? This is what she fled. This is the this is where she grew up, and she grew up in in this war torn country, suffering uh, amongst these people in these war zones. So, like, this is one of her greatest fears, and Danny's pulled it from her, and she has just collapsed. And just as you know, Xavier's trying to sort out things, what's going on? He uh, there's an explosion. He and uh, Rain are thrown to the side and uh he knows that that explosion was real this rest of the stuff is is not and we 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 as the readers see that through his thought bubble um daniel moonstar is now running from the scene and she is now being chased by these donald price's uh armored minions uh and they're on these hover cars and she now is beginning to figure out that the people that were standing at her grandfather's funeral pyre were not the people that they they weren't the villains she she sees that these men that are chasing her are the actual villains because they they look just like the men that she had pulled from her grandfather's uh her grandfather before he was beaten to death they're the same armored men that that she pulled from his uh subconscious that had beaten him to death and she now is realizing that there there's something more going on here. Well, they catch up to her, and one of them grabs her and beginning to restrain her. She had, I think, I be- believe I brought this up earlier, that there's this uh, mountain lion that she had this telepathic rapport with. Well, it comes to her aid, and uh, this man grabs it by the scruff, and he throws it down in the, the gorge. It ends up killing it. And Danny is just... Right, like her life is falling apart at this point. Like everything that she held dear, everything that was close to her, is now being destroyed, and she is alone. And 
you know, she's desperate and kind of at the end of, you know, the end of the line for her. And all of a sudden this man is mid-sense. His voice changes. And it's karma. Karma is taking control, possess this man. And Danny's able to free herself uh, from his grip. And karma commands him to take his helmet off so Xavier can mentally interrogate him, right? Telepathically interrogate him. Well, Dan, Danny's, uh, Danny Moonstar sees the perfect opportunity to just pull the most horrible fears from him. And she's just about to do it. Xavier stops her and, you know, convinces her to let him figure out what's going on here. And he figures out that Donald Price is behind it all. He hates mutants. He already knew that. He's, he uh, also finds out about two other young mutants, two, uh, one in Kentucky and one in Brazil. And they decide that it's time to go and try to rescue them. And so once they, they've got this information, Danny Moonstar now wants to kill him. She pulls a knife and she's about to plunge it into him. And, and Xavier once again stops her. And he, you know, convinces her that it's not worth it, that this is better, that the justice is better served. It may not balance the scales, you know, it can't bring her grandfather back, but, like, this guy isn't worth it. And she agrees reluctantly, and that once once they get to Donald Price, that he will pay. She will make him pay because vengeance will be hers. Um, And she's convinced um, only through Xavier's, you know, really connection to the family, um, to go with Xavier. She doesn't trust white people. It was already made clear earlier in the story, and that continues here. Uh, Xavier tells her, I was at your birth. You know, I owe my life to your family. I'm, you know, like, he explains all that. Um, I believe it had come up earlier on Uncanny X-Men, this connection, and if it hasn't, it will later. Um, but he's kind of an honorary member of that family. So he knows her father. He's really close to her grandfather, or what had been really close to her grandfather. So she ends up going kind of reluctantly, also just in the interest of serving, uh, of really getting true vengeance for her grandfather. Um, so at this point, Xavier decides it's time to split the team up because they can't get to both. If, if the group stays together, it's feared that they won't be able to help both of these young mutants. So one group goes down to Brazil, and that's led by Moira Mataggart. And that's Karma and Danny Moonstar and Moira. So they're in the hotel. They've contacted Emmanuel da Costa unsuccessfully, and the police barge into this room that they're in, and they're upset. They, they, they know that somebody's trying to get uh, Emmanuel's son, and they're blaming this, these uh, Moira and, and the two young women that they're the, they're the people that are out to get his son, and so they're going to arrest him. Well, Karma reaches out and possesses one of the uh, detectives, and they end up that uh, Danny and Karma run, and Moira's taken into custody. And so Danny and Karma continue the mission. They they go to Emmanuel da Costa's house, Roberto's house, right? And they they see him jumping the wall, and he's sneaking off. So they've decided they're gonna follow him, and they follow him, and he leads them to this empty warehouse. And inside the warehouse are some of Donald Price's goons, and they have Julia Sandoval, uh, Roberto's girlfriend. And he's trying to barter with them. He says, I, I, you know, take me and let her go. And they say, no, no way. 
no way bunky that's what they call him no way bunky you know you know you're you're coming with us we're going to kill you and then we're killing her and there's nothing you can do about it and he's like kind of at the between a rock and hard place right these guys are going to kill him and his girlfriend so he just says julia get behind me and he transforms into his sunspot you know and and he and he hits one of them and he throws another one and he throws a crate at another and he's fighting and he's trying to live up this giant piece of concrete and he just he, he can't his powers fade and he just collapses the ground he's exhausted and they laugh and they're like bye mutie and they're gonna shoot him in the head um they also find we also find out that that they're they used to be humans until they had a run in with a very famous X-Men, Wolverine. He'd torn through them in the Hellfire Club uh, when they were trying to... Um, I believe it was in the Dark... Well, I know it's in the Dark Phoenix Saga, so it's like 133, Uncanny X-Men, 133, 134. He just cuts up all these goons that work there. And Donald Price, what he does is he... he you know, these guys are almost all dead. So he, he turns them into cyborgs basically part you know part human part part machine and uh they continue to work for donald price well they hate mutants now there's no no question and uh so they're about to kill roberto da costa and out of nowhere one of them's possessed again right and she tells roberto you know at the time you know you you need to run get julia out of here you just go uh let us handle these guys and he's, you know, a little confused. He's groggy from his weakened state. Um, and so uh, Karma turns this guy around. He starts shooting. Well, his reflexes are super... Uh, a- he's really agile because of his cybernetic enhancements. And she's having trouble aiming the gun accurately. And so he's shooting really wildly. His, his the, the other cronies are, you know, the other bad guys are dodging and like, what's going on? Trying to figure it out. And uh, Danny Moonstar jumps in, starts fighting. She pulls some of the images from these guys' minds. And it turns out it's Wolverine is the thing they fear the most. And they're terrified and they're all like, oh, what's Wolverine doing here? You know, and they're freaking out. So it's really chaotic. Well, Danny also like jump kicked the guy that uh, Zane Shane had been possessing, uh, Karma had possessed. It had disrupted that. Well, so Shane goes to Roberto and she's trying to get him, you know, moving and get him, get him to get out of there. And he doesn't re- realize that like these young ladies are there to help. He thinks they're, you know, bad guys too. So he changes briefly and he hits Karma, which definitely frees. Um, the guy she had possessed. Now he's beginning to realize, oh, something's up, and I don't know why the hell I'm standing over here when I was standing next to that, you know, guy that I was going to shoot in the head. And he turns on those mutant kids and he starts firing. Uh, Karma is grazed by a bullet, and uh, Roberto's stunned and confused and really sluggish, and just he's not going to get out of the way. It looks like he's going to get shot, and his girlfriend Julia jumps in the way, and she gets shot and ends up dying, and Roberto holds her in his arms, um, and at this moment, uh, Danny's had enough, and she reaches into the guy that had shot Julia, and pulls from him, just with everything she can, she pulls the thing that scares him the most, and she does it with so much anger, and so much force, that it is just completely overwhelming, it just pretty much 
scrambles his brain and it's sheer terror it's a, sc- a scream that no one that had been around Danny had ever heard come out of a person before they'd heard people scream in terror but nothing like this and Danny felt something really bad and disgusting that she'd never felt before in association with her powers and she felt you know she, it really affected her so she knew that she'd done something really horrible to this man and uh kind of it it does have an effect on her uh roberto he's like oh it's all my fault i'm such a terrible person how could i you know i'm such a monster and if i would only could have you know you know done something different like it's my fault that julia's dead and he's just just completely overwhelmed um but all being said they did they they save roberto and they go back and hook up with my my taggart Meanwhile, in Cameron County, Kentucky, uh, Xavier and Rain Sinclair are driving down a, a rural, a rural, rural road in the forest, and uh, they're talking. And you know, we find out in this scene that Moira has contacted Xavier. Everything's okay. They, they, they saved Roberto, but this uh, Roberto's young lady friend was killed. Um, but all in all, they're you know, all considering they're okay and they're on their way back. Uh, and Xavier's kind of telling Rain this, so we the readers know, you know, what happened off panel. Um, and uh, as they're driving down this dirt road, I'm, a streak of light hits the Jeep, it flips over, it explodes, and we know it's Cannonball, right? It's Sam Guthrie. He has apparently gotten a job working for Donald Price. It has benefits, it pays well, and it's taking care of his family. All things that we know as readers are important to Sam. And, uh, you know, it also isn't surprising considering the, 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 coal, the coal mine he'd been working at was Pierce Consolidated. So I'm guessing Pierce Consolidated is owned by Donald Pierce. So he is now a bodyguard or a guard or whatever, a minion of Donald Price. And uh, Rain is thrown from the Jeep, jumps from the Jeep, and transforms to a wolf and runs off into the woods, uh, as Xavier had told her to do. Xavier's knocked unconscious, but Sam, being the great kid that he is, pulls Xavier from the vehicle. Um, and at, as this is going on, Rain, in her wolf form, realizes, you know, Xavier can't walk. I should have saved him. So she wants to go back, but sees that these that the these goons are around the jeep. So she stays in the stays in the shadows. But she thinks to herself, she knows there's this desire in her that she just wants to dive at this kid who's pulling Xavier out away from the jeep and rip out his throat. But she thinks, I don't know how to do that. So the only thing that stops her from acting on these animal instincts that she apparently has is the fact that she doesn't know how to be an animal. So it's that fine line between what is human and what is animal. And it's something that Rain's character is able to explore pretty successfully. It's in a similar vein as Wolverine, but Wolverine's kind of the opposite side, right? He's more of this, I am the animal, but am I really even human? Right, this berserker rage thing that he has, which whereas Rain is, I am the animal, but I don't know how to act on it. So she's kind of the opposite side of that 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 uh, that uh, 
that debate, I guess, or it's not really a debate, but that uh, those scales, right? Wolverine's on one end and she's on the other. It's pretty. It's interesting. It's something that will be explored further. Um, but in the meantime, she she's able to follow the scent of Xavier, and and it leads her to this to this uh, installation, uh, military installation. It's lined by fences. It has guard posts. Um, She's able to jump the fences. She does this in this lupine state. It's human wolf hybrid form, and it allows her to leap high and uh, agilely do it and not not get stuck on the fence. Um, And she goes up and she peers in. She sees this man, Donald Price. He has... Uh, Professor Xavier bound and and ha- uh, has this mind thing, the thing that he calls a mind trap. It doesn't allow Xavier to use his mental powers. It also will allow Xavier to pull things, or Donald Price to pull things from Xavier's mind, um, which is super painful and will pretty much leave him as a vegetable, um, which is fine by Donald Price. He doesn't care. Um, now, Sam tries to attack rain but we're but what we're beginning to see with sam is he doesn't have ability to control his blast he will shoot and he shoots straight and he can you know he'll smash through stuff but he he isn't turning he doesn't have any ability to like control the direction once he started blasting so he just goes in a straight line so if if he is just off a hair he's gonna miss and then he's gonna smash it's the only time he stops is once he hits something so he smashes through he you know he flies off and misses rain scares her she jumps down he crashes into the ground and she was in the lupine form now she's a wolf form and while this has all have been happening the rest of the group shows up moira uh Roberto, Danny, and uh, and uh, Karma, and they join in the fight, and they fight the goons, and Sam is startled to see these mutant kids just similar to him with similar powers, and one by one they take on Price. First, Rain Sinclair, she is, she tries to bite his arm, but he finds out that it's a cybernetic arm, right? It's not really human flesh. He tears her off and throws her at the ground and kicks her, and it breaks some of her ribs. Um, she's laying there. Uh, Danny jumps down through the vent and is gonna and kicks him, um, trying to take trying to take control of, uh, pull stuff from his mind. Un- unsuccessfully, he tells her, "Well, that's a great trick, but you know it has no effect on me because I'm I am more than human." And he you know slaps her aside. Uh, Karma comes in, or Roberto comes in, and he's gonna you know he's in his. Uh, sunspot form, and Sam blasts into him. It's the first time Sam's made contact with anyone t- since him, he smashed into the Jeep that Xavier and Rain were in. And he smashes Roberto into the wall, and uh, Roberto's like, how could you attack me in the back? You're a coward. And, uh, you know, Sam's like, oh, stunned, and he actually had hit the target. And in behind this mess comes Karma, and she's trying to take, you know, trying to, to control Pierce, but Pierce uh, ends up taking her out fairly quickly, and, uh, you know, it looks like things are over. Uh, so in this chaotic scene, you know, Donald Price is, like, talking about how he's triumphant, and he knew that Karma was the most dangerous of them all. She's also the oldest. She's 19 years old. The rest are just, you know, recently hitting puberty, 16 to 14 years old, really new, hardly have any experience with their ability, uh, their their 
mutant abilities. Um, so it's not really a surprise that Karma has the most was the most threatening to Donald Price, but he's you know subdued all of them. Now Rain had been laying on the floor and she was hurt very bad, and Xavier reached out and you know was telling her you got to get up, you know telepathically. And he was telling her, you need to get up. I need you to go to that control panel. And so she's going, but it's it's really hurting her. She's short of breath. He's starting to realize that she has severe internal damage. She's, in fact, punctured some lungs. So by the time she gets to that control battle, she's so weak she can barely stand. But she finally able to, you know, Xavier's like, I need you to flip that switch. If you don't, it's, it's over. And he knows that, like, even asking this of her could be the thing that, that ends her life but he has to do it because if it's if he doesn't have her do that then they're all done for and she's able to flip the switch and Donald Price is just gloating in his victory and he's about to you know he's telling Sam you need to finish them and Sam's like what what do you mean like throw them off the throw them out call the authorities no I'm you know you'll kill them and he's like you know, aghast, and, and Donald Price is, you know, telling him he needs to do this, and uh, all of a sudden, um, you know, and Sam's like, oh, I don't know, and and so he's gonna do it, right, and he, he goes, and he's and he's gonna shoot these kids, and, and decide, well, I think he's gonna shoot Xavier first, right, and all of a sudden, he can't pull the trigger, and he's like, what? And, and Xavier is free, because Sinc- uh, Rain Sinclair uh, had had uh, had uh, was able to free him, and he's got Donald Price under his control. He's reached out with his mind. He's taking control, complete control of Donald Price. Donald Price can speak and stuff, uh, and but he can't pull the trigger. His body's frozen, and and Xavier can control him to a degree. And Xavier's straining to do this though. It's it's taking a lot out of him, and Carmen sees this and she's like, Xavier, you know, Professor, don't worry about it. I got it. She takes him for him and, and, and Xavier thanks her, you know, and, and throughout this, what we're seeing from Xavier and something I really do enjoy. And, and, and one of the reasons I see Xavier as a very caring figure and more of a, like a father figure, teacher figure, it's because this is the, you know, these are the stories that I, I, identifies Charles Xavier where he is caring for students right he is teaching students he is not you know he's not a megalomaniac he's not a guy that's out pretending to be dead every other issue this is you know this is the professor this is my Xavier and and he's the one that I you know this the new mutants Xavier is the Xavier I look at as the kind of my defining Xavier so when I think Charles Xavier I think the the Xavier that shows up in the New Mutants, because he's very much not about having these stu- these students being X Men and an active team out doing combat. He wants them learning and and learning how to control their powers. He he's doing what he can, hopefully, and we'll see this later, especially when the X Men return. He doesn't want them out in the field. But back to the story, so they're able to free themselves and you know Danny wants him to pay Roberto wants him to pay but they also need to know they need to get Rain to the hospital like she's really in bad shape she might die and you know Xavier's like well I think she'll be okay we do need to get her to the hospital but like we've got you know it'll be it'll be okay 
we just have to get her to the hospital. We gotta get her looked at. Um, and so they end up leaving, and the only reason they're able to leave and not they can't wait for the authorities, Xavier doesn't know what to do with Donald Price, can't bring him with because it's just too risky. If they lost control of him, he, he could kill them all. And and Tessa who had been captured with Xavier, the Black Queen, I believe, she says, well, you know what, we'll take down the price and we'll make him pay. He will never bother you again because he's done just as much damage to the Hellfire Club as he did to you, and we can't stand for that. That's unacceptable for us. And so he reluctantly agrees, and they go. Now, the next time we see the team is back at the Xavier Institute, right, at his school. And it's an epilogue, and it's probably one of my favorite parts in this whole uh, graphic novel. Um, there is this panel where Xavier, I mean, it's its really a callback, honestly. It's a callback to, to, to the, uh, to the, uh, 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 episode one, episode one, sorry. Uh, it's, it's a callback to, um, the first, the first, uh, X-Men comic. And it's Xavier, he's, he's sitting down in his study and he calls his team to, to uh, cause the X-Men down to, to meet him. Well, that's, that's what is being replayed here. Now, the very first panel is just a beautiful panel. It's him sitting in front of a picture, uh, two pictures in his study. And one is of the original X-Men, Scott, Gene, Beast, Iceman, and the Angel. And this is like, you know, you know, within the first 50 issues of X-Men, like, that's when that picture is coming from. It's those old uniforms, it's Beast prior to turning into Fuzzy Beast. So these are the, you know, his first X-Men. The next one is the second generation, and that's got Cyclops, Wolverine, Storm, Nightcrawler, Colossus, and, and uh, uh, Shadowcat. And he's got his hand over his mouth, and he's just looking at the picture. And when I look at his, the way he's been drawn, it's almost like he's, you know, almost like he's about ready to shed a tear. Like he's just looking fondly and kind of sadly at, at, the, at, at those two teams. And he's like, it's time. And he calls his new mutants to come to, to join him. And... So the next couple panels are each of the team members. So uh, Karma, she's getting dressed, and she's talking about how she's so excited to be here and that her family's safe and things are going to be okay. And Roberto's getting dressed, and he's like, you know, strutting his stuff, and he's being very teenage, uh, teenage boy about it. Um, And Danny's getting ready. so, like, Roberto, he's like, not the most stylish of uniforms, but not bad. I wish Julia could see me in it. Perhaps she can from heaven. When Pierce was beaten, I could have killed him, but I realized that would have made me just like him, and that I will never be. Right, so he, he doesn't want to be like Pierce, and he's being very silly because, you know, it's just it's just perfect Roberto da Costa, right? Super dramatic, super over the top. Uh Danny's also getting ready. Um she's uh she also is lamenting about, right? She didn't she's also remembering this moment when she, she could have taken Pierce's life, but she chose a a friend, right? 
someone else Salsa's needs over that, over her vengeance. She's like, well, we needed to save Rain, and that was more important in the moment. And so she's thinking about that. And Rain, we see, she's just amazed that these clothes, like, first she's like, wow, these clothes are better than anything I've ever worn in my life. Like, I don't know that I, I really deserve this. This isn't befitting of me, uh, my station in life. So she's still struggling with her place in the world. And what we see is she's in the the... These are the blue and uh, yellow striped uniforms, the very first uniforms, right? Those, I, my favorite of all the X-Men uniforms, probably. But anyways, we see her walking down the hall. She changes from human form to the wolf form, back to the human form. And she's very excited that, wow, when she changes into the wolf form and comes back to human form, it did no damage to the uniform, right? So all these, the the... Four students meet Xavier in his study, and Danny's not in uniform fully. She is wearing the 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 uniform, but she has uh, like brown leather boots on and uh, uh, a Native American belt, for lack of a better term, what is supposed to be some sort of Native American belt, and uh, her hair's in in uh, in ponytails, I believe, and Xavier's like you know. I told you to be in uniform, and Danny's like, well, sorry, this is who I am, and I'm an individual, and I am Cheyenne, and I can be a new mutant, but if you ask me to change this, I w- I'm not going to stay. And Xavier thinks to himself, you know, there was a time when I would have, I would have made her change, and that would have been wrong, because she's right, she is an individual. And, like, that's really directly calling back to his his conflicts with those younger original X-Men, right? Like, so he has learned. He's, his character's changed over time, and I, and I think that's a really, really nice, nice piece. Um, now, as you notice, I haven't brought up Sam Gunthry, uh, and I forgot to mention earlier that he decided he's left, uh, Roberto doesn't want him to, because he asks Xavier after the fight, uh, as as they, just before the New Mutants are going to leave uh, Donald Price's facilities, you know, what am I supposed to do? And Xavier doesn't really ever answer him. Um, and Roberto's like, you know what, you, you fought with that guy, you go with your boss. He's your, he's your, you know, that's, that's where you belong. And uh, they, that's where it's left. So on the, the last page... There's a knock at the door. Xavier's like, well, there's going to be a knock at the door. And Rain's like, how did how did you know before the doorbell rang or was knocked? How did you know somebody was going to be there? He's like, well, I'm a telepath, uh, and it's Sam Gunthry. He can't block his mind from me. Um, and they're like, what's he doing here? And Xavier's like, well, I, you know, I reached out to him. And, you know, Gunthry, you know, being the stand-up guy he is, he's like, hey, you know, I was wrong. I'd like a second chance. Uh, Bobby at first is like, no way. Roberta DaCosta is like, I want nothing to do with you. And the rest of the la- the three ladies are like, yeah, you know. And Rain Seclair's like, you know, I almost died. And I'm still willing to give him a second chance. And, you know, like, Roberto's like, well, I, won't, I can't say no to a pretty lady. You know, and, and like, this is the beginning of this uh teenage interaction, right? This, these friendships, these very like adolescent friendships 
where they're kind of exploring relationships with each other and like we're also seeing personalities develop where like this this very suave and kind of like flirty uh roberto personalities coming out and they each have their own little conflict in place in this in this series and we're seeing those those seeds being planted but we're we're you know it's 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 the beginning of a very very awesome character you know just really awesome story and and we're going to see the we're seeing the groundwork of the character develop, development we're seeing the groundwork for how the group's going to interact with one another and how professor Xavier's going to really react interact with the group um now there's going to be uh, one with this graphic novel being done, the next is you know issue number one, and then we will kick off into the series. Uh, you know, like I said, some of my favorite panels are in that epilogue, but really the artwork's perfect for this first uh, first book because they are teenagers; they're fourteen, sixteen, nineteen year olds, and they look like. 14-year-olds, 16-year-olds, and 19-year-olds, and they uh, behave and are written in that way. And and I think that's something that, especially today, and maybe I'm wrong, but for sure in the 90s, when I really was into comics, really started my collecting career of comics, um, that's not how it was. You know, everyone was sexualized. Every... Uh, every drawing was sexualized, and it was about sex selling, and, like, that is not what's happening here, and that's something that's really been, that's beautiful in the 80s, and I really commend, um, and the new main circuit's gonna, for the most part, really continue that style throughout its, its run, um, but, uh, I really appreciate that if, that you listened, if you have questions or comments, um, I'm going to try to make sure I have an email or uh, some social media sites that will be available for, because I'd like feedback. Um, but thank you for listening, and uh, we'll try next week to try to we'll get into that episode uh, issue number one next week. So uh, until then, have a good have a good evening and uh, enjoy enjoy uh, those those comics. <laughs>